Hey, hey, welcome to our Five for Five service. Can we make some noise, please? Oh, my goodness. We are going to have an incredible service together. If you've never been to Connect, this is a little bit different. Normally, they let me talk for 35 minutes. I just drone on and on and on. But today, we're mixing it up. Here's what Five for Five is, if you're unfamiliar with the concept. We have invited five people from our congregation to deliver a five-minute message to you in the 11 a.m. service. They're able to share a testimony, a mini-sermon. They're able to share a thought from the word that the Lord showed in them, they have the opportunity to step up in front of you and hopefully give you a word that will be challenging and encouraging and draw you close to God. Now, listen, I want you to know something, okay? They have all been working on these messages for weeks because trust me when I say it is much harder to preach for five minutes than it is to preach for 35 minutes. When I go for 35, man, I just get to chase rabbits. I can say whatever I want to, you know, but for these guys, what ended up happening is they wrote out their manuscript, they timed themselves, then they had to rewrite their manuscript and then time themselves again. Then we made them come up here and rehearse in front of an empty room and they found out they were over time and so they had to rewrite their manuscript again. My goodness, you guys, they've put a ton of effort into it, but I am so proud of them for their willingness to step out of their comfort zone, to stand on stage in the spotlight and to share a word with you guys. These are not professional Christians like me, okay? These are normal people who probably haven't been to seminary. I don't know, maybe some of them have, and I'm just not aware of it. But these are folks just like you. You know, in the New Testament, when they had church, the expectation was that everybody that came to the service was going to bring a word or a song or an exhortation or a prophecy. Can you imagine if we did that? If I'm like, all right, you better say something if you come to church today. We're not going to do that. Calm down. We won't call on you. But this is a way for us to keep that New Testament spirit alive because we believe in what we call the priesthood of all the believers. That literally means that every single person who is a follower of Jesus has direct access to God. They can talk to him without going through a priest. They can read the Bible and understand it. And the spirit can speak to them. So today, as I wrap up, because I'm going long already, um, (laughs) it's tough when they don't let me speak. Anyway, uh, What I want you to understand is that they are not merely sharing what's on their heart. This has been on their heart, no doubt. But they are sharing with you today what the Holy Spirit has put on their heart. We need to hear what they have to say. So here's what we're going to do today, okay? Their responsibility was to write out the manuscript. They got to get up here and deliver it to us. We have our part to play as well. We are going to be the most energetic, hyped up crowd you've ever seen in your entire life. And the reason that we're going to do it this way is because they are stepping out of their comfort zone, and we want to give them all the encouragement we possibly can. So my wife, Amber, is going to introduce you to our 5 for 5 lineup for our 11 a.m. service. All right, so we get to practice making some noise. So we're going to put their face on the screen, and when I call out their name, just cheer really loud. Ready? For our speakers today, we have Darren Scarlett, Aaron Metzler, Zia Labate, Kayla Johnson, and Eric Alfonso. Now make some noise for our first speaker, Darren Scarlett. All right, all right, all right. Good morning, Connect Church. Is that too loud? Is that too loud? Is that good? All right. 
Good morning. Good well, morning. I have the privilege, I guess, of being the first speaker up today. And so before my clock runs out today, I want to talk to you guys just briefly about a technique that I use in prayer, and I call it visual praying, and how it sort of deals or how it sort of relates to uh, temptations. We face temptations every day, every one of us. And the sad part is the enemy knows exactly where and when and how and what time of day to hit at us. But we're not left undefended. Uh, God has provided for us. In Ephesians, the armor of God, I'm going to talk to you how I visually get dressed in the armor of God every day. And as a caveat, I want to say, this is not to be seen as heresy, okay? This is just an, just an addendum to my prayer life to sort of make it more personal, kind of more intimate. So what I do in my prayer class, I get in there in the morning and I kind of close my eyes and I sort of visualize the throne of God. And I, and I, I walk in there and I see other believers in there kind of on their knees, on their face before God, praying. I kind of just find a spot, and I kind of settle in there, and I kind of take it all in. And I begin to start praying, and I see, I visualize like a wardrobe to my left side. And picture like a wardrobe, like the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe kind of wardrobe. And, and in there is the armor of God for all believers. And the important part in my mind's eyes is that this is the armor of God that's presented for us, or prepared for us each day. This is not yesterday's armor. This is not tomorrow's armor. This is today's armor that God has provided for us to defend in the temptations we're going to face today specifically. So I picture that wardrobe, and I go in there, and I get out my armor, and it has my name on there, and it's engraved with today's date, and I hang it on an armor stand in front of me. And then I begin sort of the dressing, getting dressed process, and I sort of, I first I'll put on the belt of truth around my waist, and the special part with this belt is that it has only one hole in the belt. Why? Because it fits me and only me. It's not made for anybody else, it's just made for me. And this belt of truth reminds me a couple of things. It reminds me not to, um, to believe the truth, of course, of God's word, but also uh, not fears uh, and lies that the enemy wants to come at us. You know, lies like fear of our future and jealousy things and, you know, will I ever find love again kind of things. And does God even hear my prayers? Those are lies of the devil that my belt of truth reminds me not to, to remember. After the, after the belt of truth is on, I put on the breastplate of righteousness on my chest, and this covers my chest and my abdomen, it clips into the belt, and it, uh, it, it protects my heart, and so I am reminded that, you know, I say, Lord, you know, purify my heart and, and help me to live a pure life for you today. And also, it says, it reminds me to, to hold gently and dearly the, the, the hearts that God has placed in my hands, like, so my family, my fiance my uh, children, my, my co-workers, my staff, let me hold their hearts tenderly and gently and treat them well. After the breastplate is on, I then put on my boots of peace. And on my feet, I visualize three different boots. My first boot is the concrete boot, and I put it on, and it reminds me to stand firm exactly where God has placed me in this world. Don't be longing for some other things, but where God has placed me on to, be, to stand firm for that. Next are what I call my running boots, and my running boots remind me to, like Joseph, to flee temptation. If they come this way, remind me, I got these running boots on. I can flee. I have an option here. I can leave this temptation. And the last one is I have my flying boots, and what I, those remind me of is for me to be able to spread the good news that's all about Jesus. When given the opportunity, if somebody comes up in my path this day, I will be able to spread the good news that's all about Jesus, spread the gospel, and that's what my flying boots remind me of. Next is my uh, shield of faith. I take the shield of faith and I hold it before me and I look at it again and it's engraved and it's beautiful with my name on today's date. And I say, God, help me to, um, to hold the shield forth today and it will extinguish all the flaming arrows and the fire darts of temptations, but also the little things like the little pebbles and rocks that can get thrown at me, which can set me off kilter, and also the nuclear bombs of temptation that can also come to. My shield of faith will also protect me from that. 
Next is my helmet of salvation. I put that on, and I don't need to remind anybody how important a helmet is in war. Protect your eyes, your mind, your ears during the temptation these days. And finally is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And um, can't emphasize how important it is to get into the Word of God each day. I'll, I'll, I'll comment or challenge you just like Pastor Dan did during the How Not to Read the Bible series is get into the Word of God every day. Read a chapter a day and you'll find it starts to change uh, you know, parts of your life. And so those are the armors that I visualize and I, and I get dressed with. So my challenge today for those who are listening is this. If your prayer life has become kind of dry, stagnant, um, uh, you know, sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's not producing what you sort of think, um, use some visual prayer. So in, in, envision your prayer life. For example, just picture that you're like walking on the beach with Jesus and just have a conversation with him. That's prayer. Or picture a cafe and you're sitting there and you're having hot chocolate with, with the Lord and you're just, you're just having a chat and, and that's prayer. Because you know Jesus doesn't drink coffee, right? So, okay, okay. Okay, for all my co- I'm just joking. All of my coffee lovers don't stone me later. But... Just, just make it personal, and, uh, and hopefully that, will, that maybe you get the breakthrough that you're seeking the Lord for, just maybe through visualizing your prayer, okay? And before I get the hook, I better go. See ya. Thanks for that picture, Dan. So, um, as you can hear, bear with me, um, the enemy tried to silence me this week, but um, we're not going to let him. So, I want to read to you a verse that's found in the book of John, but first, for the sake of time, because I only have five minutes, I'm going to take a moment to set the stage about what's happening around this verse. So, Jesus and his 12 disciples, they're enjoying a Passover meal together. It's a meal that we now refer to as the Last Supper. Um, And at some point during this meal, Jesus gets up, he takes off his jacket, he puts on an apron, he fills a bowl full of water, and then he kneels down to start washing the feet of his disciples. Now this is weird. All right, the washing of the the guests' feet, that's a job that's reserved for like the rookie servant, like the lowest servant in the household. It's not a job that's um, typically done by the most well-respected leader of the group. So Peter, one of the disciples, he agrees with me. He thinks this is weird and it's awkward. And so he says, nah, bro, I don't want you to wash my feet. And Jesus is like, "Mm, if you want to have any part of me, I'm going to have to. And so Jesus doesn't think about it. Peter thinks about it. And he comes to the conclusion. He says, okay, well, in that case, do it all. Get my head, get my hands, get my feet. So this is where we jump into John 13, 10. And this is Jesus replying to Peter. He says... Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. I'm a professional dog trainer. So that means I spend my days um, helping clients to teach their dog new skills that are going to help them to act appropriately within society. Every time I meet with a client, I explain to them that the training that we're doing, it's not a one-time event. It's something that they're going to have to continually practice um, in order to keep those skills up. Because if they don't, over time, the dog will go back to acting how it used to act, right? So it'll go back to jumping all over you. It'll go back to barking at the door, chasing the rabbit, all of those things. And the reason that happens is the world around them didn't change. So without practice, eventually they're going to fall for the old temptations that the world throws at them. I think sometimes, as Christians, 
we can treat repenting um, how my clients treat training. We treat it as a one-time event, a transaction made in order to gain salvation. We think we repent, we, re we turn to God, and we receive forgiveness for our sins, past, present, and future. And that's it. We're done, right? Well, that's not what Jesus is saying in this verse. So <clears throat> please don't misunderstand me. The work of Jesus is complete. When you repent and turn to him, you receive salvation and are given eternal life starting this very moment. That's what Jesus is referring to when he talks about those who have already bathed. Uh, the deep clean, it's done. So we don't have to do anything to earn continued salvation. Yet, even though we are saved, the world around us didn't change. We still walk through a dirty and corrupt world. And so at some point, we're bound to get a little dirt on our feet. We're still affected by the things of the world, and we're going to still be continually tempted to sin. So without regular confession and repentance, our sins will eventually um, cause us to fall back into our old habits. At some point, this is going to have an impact on your relationship with Christ. <clears throat> Pardon me. So last week... I was invited by a friend to go over after work and enjoy just a quick cup of coffee so we can have a catch-up. I had been working out in the sun all day, so I was sweaty and gross and covered in dog drool, and, and I'm not going to mention what else. Um, and I, I hadn't had a chance to wash, so I turned her down. I said no. I chose not to fellowship with a friend because I was too dirty. We do the same thing with God. When we sin and we don't repent, we get dirt on our feet. So we're less likely to want to spend time in fellowship with God. Yet, when we don't spend time in fellowship with God, we get distracted by the things of the world, and we get more dirt on our feet. It's this never-ending cycle. So making uh, repentance a, a part of your daily routine, what that does is it realigns your heart, and it sets it back on focus on him so that you can focus on a relationship with the one who saved you. So as I close out, I want to encourage you to make repenting a regular spiritual discipline in your life. Don't allow your, dirt, don't allow your feet to become so dirty that you say no when God wants to hang out. Wow. Good job. All right. How do I follow that up? All right, I'm going to read from John chapter 9. This is the story about Jesus healing the blind man. So it reads as follows. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned to this man or his parents that he was born blind? L listen to Jesus' answer. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So we'll go over to uh, verse 6. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This, uh, this word means sand. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him be begging said, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. 
So I went and washed and then I could see. So this is very powerful because in those times what would happen is if you had some form of disability, you couldn't see, you couldn't hear, people believed it was because you had sinned or your parents had sinned or someone in your family had sinned. But Jesus displays such a powerful concept here because as we know from Romans 3.23, we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So it's very encouraging that we know that God doesn't punish us that way. But Jesus gives us a couple of very important points that I want to talk to you today. So the first one is the challenges we go through are to display God's glory. So this is very encouraging for me specifically because my mom has been sick for over two years. And sometimes I used to wonder, God, did I sin? Did she sin? Did we do something wrong? But then I remembered the scripture. It happens so that God's word may be glorified in us. So this is encouraging not just for me, but I hope it encourages you as well. You might be sick. You might be going through emotional turmoil. Or you might know someone who might be sick. So I want to encourage you today that Jesus sees. He is with you. And he's going to encourage you and get that out of the way with you. Amen. The second point that he says here, once you come into contact with Jesus, your life is transformed forever. So once the blind man was, was able to see Everyone was like, wait a minute, isn't that the same guy who was blind? And the same happens with us as well. Jesus not only transforms us physically, but he transforms our heart. So the way we think, the way we speak, the people who knew us from before would be like, wait, what happened to you? Now you're talking different, now you think different, now you act different. And it generates questions. And the questions is a perfect opportunity for you to point people to Jesus. Amen. So it leads us to my third point, which is very important, actually. This one is don't discount the power of your testimony. So you see what happened with the blind man when they said, wait, isn't it the guy? And some people said, no, he maybe just looks like him. The man, it says, the man insisted, no, I am the guy. So this happens with us as well. We have the crazy wall of faith over there. You wrote some stuff down. And once you have an answer from God regarding what you prayed for, don't keep quiet about it. You never know who might be encouraged by your word. Because sometimes the enemy might be like, listen, no one wants to hear that. You know, it's not a big thing. You pray for that job, so what? You know what I mean? But let me tell you something today. People want to hear what Jesus is doing in your life because he has transformed your life for a reason. You never know. Someone might have been even discouraged and be like, you know what? Maybe God, you don't see me anymore. I've been praying for so long. In the first service, we had Abby waited for a whole year. So, and Dalton was speaking about patience as well. But once Jesus transforms your life, share it with people because it's going to generate questions and it might be a, a, an opportunity for you to raise people's hopes, to remind people that, listen, God is still faithful. God will do exactly what he said he will do. Even in your life, even if it's two years like my case, my mom has been sick for two years, I'm still believing. I'm saying, listen, God, you said everything is to bring glory to your name and I will not discount the testimony, even through the journey because sometimes we feel like something is taking too long, so we are like, you know what, but celebrate the journey because we remember just like Jesus saw the blind man, he knew his condition and he eventually healed him. The same will happen to you too. If you're praying for that job, you're praying for emotional healing, physical healing, you know what? Jesus sees you. You know what? Jesus is in need with you and he will carry you out. That crazy wall of faith by the end of the year, we are all believing that we will have ticked everything that's in there. So keep going, keep going, be strong in that. And in conclusion, what I want to say is as long as we be obey God, he will heal us. Just like he said, go and wash in the pool. He's saying today, trust me, just have that step of faith. And once Jesus transforms your life, don't discount your testimony. Tell people about it because you never know who you're going to raise up someone's faith. So let's go and do it. Amen. <laughs> Does any, 
yeah, nice shoes, right? <laughs> uh, does anyone have a dad who can literally fix anything and everything? Or a dad who will have an answer for anything you ask him? That's my dad. He's the type of guy who will stay at home on a Saturday night, but the next morning he's getting up and building a garage by himself. True story. My dad is the type of guy who literally knows everything. This is how it usually works in Kyle Nye's house. We figure out something is broken, and instead of me letting Kyle try to be a manly man, aside from it taking probably three weeks anyways, um, I just call my dad. He knows exactly what's wrong. He'll tell me. And then he'll either come over and fix it or tell Kyle and I how to fix it. He's also not just a Mr. Fix-It. We have this ongoing inside family joke that, about getting a dad sermon. You can ask him his thoughts or opinions, and you know you have to sit down for 45 minutes after that because you're going to listen to his whole sermon. All jokes aside, I love this about my dad. He knows what to say and exactly when to say it. It's the best. Reality is, though, there are some things in my life my dad can't fix, things he can't do, and holes in my life he can't fill. My dad can fix my sink, but he can't fix my self-esteem issues. He can tell me how to fix the toilet, but he can't give me purpose for my life. He can always make me laugh, but he can't always take away or heal my loneliness. The truth is, no matter how much you pour in, you can't fill up a cup that is broken. We tend to self-medicate with diets, drinks, depression medications, and the newest cars or iPhones. Imagine if the first person we called on was God when we realized our cups were broken. Hear me out. I'm not saying that having a friend, a parent, a spouse to ask questions to is a bad thing and that we should only be going to God. But imagine the difference in your anxiety, stress, heartache, brokenness if you went to God first 10% more than you do now. I imagine our lives would look a lot different. Last year, while Kim Roman, the church administrator, was on mat leave, I had the privilege of taking on the church financials as a second job. <sighs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I would work my full-time, eight-hour-a-day job as a real estate admin. I'd come home in the evenings, spend time with Kyle and Elijah, eat dinner, get Elijah into bed, and proceed to work on the financials from 10 to midnight, five days a week. Needless to say, when Kim's year of mat leave was done in April, I said, thank you, Jesus. Basically threw her computer back at her. I was in a season of burnout, unsure of my goals and priorities, and not sure where to go next. I wish I could say that during this recent season of burnout, I turned to God and dove into the Bible and prayer. Instead, I replaced it and filled my broken cup with social media and online shopping. The key word here is that I tried. Because when you try to fill God-sized holes with things that can't compare and don't suffice, such as social media, medications, drugs, alcohol, shopping, food, you are still stuck with God-sized holes. Nothing and no one but God can fill them. This is why when we fill ourselves with these material things, we still end up feeling burnt out, exhausted, defeated, and broken. These material things do not provide for us what God does. 1 Peter 5.10 says, After you have suffered a little while, 
The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God heals our wounds. He promises us peace. He provides hope, restoration, salvation, and unconditional love to fix our broken cups. A few years ago, I was listening to a sermon, and they said one sentence that hit me. This one sentence has stayed as its own note in my phone for five years. Don't settle for mediocre Christianity. This applies to our relationships with God. He desires a relationship with us so much more than mediocre. And I know that I desire that relationship with him as well. Doesn't an unmatched, unparalleled, and exceptional relationship with God sound better than mediocre? So I'm up here talking today because Amber made me. Um, Just kidding. But because I felt conviction from God to work on my relationship with him and to share this word with all of you. I can only assume that you guys can relate or feel the same conviction as I do. Can we take a moment to imagine how much bigger and better our church would be if all of us turned to God first? If we dove into the Bible daily and spent at least 10 minutes a day praying, our church would be full of people that are on fire for Jesus. So my challenge to you is this. Make God your first call when something is wrong and even when something isn't. Talk to him about the bad things and the good things. Pray every day. Read your Bible every day. Join a connect group, maybe even lead a connect group. Find a mentor who can walk alongside you and guide you in your walk with Jesus. Don't try to fill yourself up with these worldly things that we know will not fill us up anyways. And then we end up going to God last. God is never a last resort. He doesn't need to be, and he doesn't want to be. Good morning, church. Good morning. Woo! Okay. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. This verse came alive for us when we realized God was clearly saying no to our prayer. Just a little background. My wife and I were both from the Philippines, and like most Filipinos, we grew up Catholic. Eight years into our marriage and five children later, children later, life started to become harder and harder to sustain in the Philippines, so I had to work abroad. I left the Philippines in March 2001, just a couple months after my fifth child was born, my family stayed behind. We had no idea that the physical separation would be used by God to draw us closer to him. Separately, but at the same time, God started bringing people into our lives that introduced us into a different level of relationship with him. Something that was not even possible if we were physically together. In September 2001, six months after I left, I went back to the Philippines to take my family with me to live in South Carolina permanently. Or so I thought. (laughs) We started our new life. Very new in the Christian way, life was easy and comfortable. Life was so good that we did not even notice that we were not growing in our faith. In fact, we were drifting away. 
Little did we know that God was about to change the directions of our lives. Only 20 months after I uprooted my family from the Philippines, I lost my job. Just like that. I was devastated to say the least. However, I was determined to find a new job in South Carolina. But somehow, something always happened that I always ended up not getting the job. My wife and I started to feel desperate, worried about our family's future, both wondering when the answer to our prayer for a job will come true. Is it not written in the Bible? Ask and you shall receive. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. While God was saying no to our specific prayer for a job in South Carolina or any U.S. state for that matter, he was very present in making sure our basic needs were met. He sent people with big hearts that helped us financially. People that showered our kids with gifts, especially during Christmas seasons, when we couldn't provide them with anything. It was hard to take help from people, but pride was one thing that God wanted us to let go. We felt God's presence during this very low point, but somehow we couldn't understand why a job offer that was so easy for him to provide just won't come. One thing I am thankful for is that marriage and faith thrived during this very low point. We relied on God and on each other. Many months later, our savings gone. Credit card debts balloon, and still no job offer. Deep inside our hearts, we knew it was easy for God to send a job if he wanted to. The fact that he was not sending any made us think, what could God be saying? God placed in our hearts to just let him be God. Our prayer changed from wanting desperately a job in South Carolina to, we leave it up to you, Lord. You promise you will never leave us nor forsake us. It was very painful prayer to pray because we knew God might send us somewhere we did not want to go. <laughs> we even prepared to go back to the Philippines in case that's where God wanted us to go next. But God sent people and changed situation that changed the plan. As we waited, I took a non-IT jobs like delivering food. My wife did some food catering too, just to get by. But we knew to trust God's plan, and we waited patiently and confident of his promises. He has proven that he will not leave us in times of troubles. The seasons of no lasted three years. And somewhere in the middle of it, God sent people that pointed us to the possibility of migrating to Canada. <laughs> of course, we didn't know if that was the direction from God, but we knew he was more than able to block it if that wasn't, or open doors if that was his. And as you have probably guessed, God opened doors that enabled the move to be as spotless as it could be. Yes, God says no, but it doesn't mean he goes away. Because while he was saying no to our specific prayer, he never once left us. I once read, God's no to our prayers is always a yes to his providential purposes. So if, if anyone here is experiencing a no from God, the more you need to hold on to his promises. Because God is faithful. His plans are way better than ours. God bless you all. <laughs>